Hello and welcome to the podcast for Christ Community Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. This is a message given by Tom Job on Sunday morning, June 5th, 2022, from the Gospel of John in chapter 15. Okay, so this comes from uh, John chapter 15, and Jesus said in verse 7, um, if, you remain, if you remain in me, if you abide in me, if you live in me, it's just kind of what it means. And my words live in you, abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it'll be done for you. You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you might bear fruit and fruit that will last so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Help us, Lord, to understand this and um, just to understand what it means. It means more than we think, so help us to understand it in Jesus' name. Um, amen. So um, so there used to be this... Um, Actually, she was a vaudeville comedian named Gracie Allen. She was married to George Burns. And, um, but she always liked to do practical jokes on people. So one time, this woman, uh, people did them back. And so this woman mailed her through, a, through the mail a little baby alligator. And um, just because she thought it was super funny. And she didn't know what to do with it. So she put it in her bathtub. And then she had to go out. And then she had a, a lady that came in and helped keep her house and clean her house and stuff. And just kind of a housekeeper. And when Gracie Allen got home, there was a note on the door that said, Dear Mrs. Allen, I quit. Um, I don't work in homes with alligators. I should have probably told you this when I started. I just never thought it would come up. You know, but, so, but a lot of times, you, know, you, you do a job and it winds up being harder than you think it is. And um, so Jesus was gonna, you know, getting ready to send these guys out. And it was going to be harder than they thought it was going to be. And there were going to be like unexpected things. And they were going to wind up going to jail, which they had never done. You know, just serving Jesus and going to prison, which has its own things that you don't expect. I remember, gosh, this was 10 years ago when I started going up to the Morgan County Jail. And you kind of think, you know, what's going to be difficult about it but I remember one time I, so it's like a half a mile that you walk up there through the security and it's a half a mile sidewalk that you go through to go back where the classes and the gyms are and stuff but there are two gates that you have to walk through they're like big uh, chain link fence gates and they're generally open but the, this time when I was done with my class and I was walking out and it just started pouring rain and so after the second gate I, after the first gate I got to the second gate and it was closed and I was just standing there in the pouring rain and there's a button that you push to get somebody to open. And they're watching you. I mean, every, they're watching everything. Everything is on a camera. And somebody somewhere was watching me. And I stood there for 10 minutes. And I know they thought it was the funniest thing they had ever seen. It's like, I, didn't, I just didn't really you know, expect it to be like that. So anyway, so Jesus was getting his guys ready for the fact that he was going to send them out in the world in John chapter 14. And 15 and 16, at the end of chapter 14, he said, let's go. So they left the up what they call, we call the upper room, and they went for a walk through the city and then down the slopes of the slopes out the gate and the golden gate of the city and then down the slopes of the of the city of Jerusalem where there were these vineyards and Jesus. It was kind of like a, a, a talk that became a walk that wound up in front of a stalk. And Jesus said, you know, this is who I am. I'm the vine, you're the branches. And you need to be dependent on me and learn to be dependent on me. So while, you know, you're gonna really need to learn this. Um, and so while, whatever the branch does, you need to do that. Like whatever a branch does that's in a, in a like a, 
a vine or a tree trunk. You're going to have to do that. So just be completely and totally dependent. While we're on the subject of, of dependence, he said, you're going to be able to ask my father for anything you need in this thing. You're going to need to do it, but um, you can ask for anything, like anything that you think you're going to need. You can ask the Father in my name, like anything. It's like it's like he's a he's going to be a dad to you. He's going to be like because of what's going to happen in the next hours, a, a new relationship is going to open up for you, and you're, he's going to be like a dad. And like you could ask your dad anything, and some people are like, I never knew my dad, or my dad was a jerk. That doesn't really help me. The idea that God is my dad. And I always feel like you could always tell someone, well, there's two things. One, just write down what kind of dad you would have liked to have had if you didn't have the one you had hoped for. You know exactly what you would have wanted. So I've been reading this biography of this, of this guy that I just, I just love him. I'm, his name was Rich Mullins, and he was a, one of the first really big contemporary Christian artist, but he was super different, and um, he just loved Jesus, or tried to as hard as he could. He just wanted to love Jesus as much as he possibly could, and I mean, he wore dirty t-shirts and blue jeans, and usually didn't have shoes because he gave them to poor people all the time, and he kind of wore his hair like Snape. You know, one time he was in a, he was in a, uh, doing a concert in this big concert hall, and they had a waiting room like the green room, and the stage manager asked him to leave because she thought he was a homeless guy. So he just kind of stood out in the hallway until it was time to go up on, and she must have been like completely mortified, but one, he was always kind of like seeking to earn stuff, like to earn approval, but especially God's approval because, he, because of his dad. Because his dad, he grew up in Indiana where in Indiana for boys and young men, it's, a, it's, good, to, it's, it's good if you're good at basketball, it's good if you're a good farmer. But he wasn't good at either one of those. Um, he was good at music and his dad never understood it. And his dad, after he wrote, sing your praise to the Lord, after he wrote, awesome God, like our God is an awesome God. I mean, he became a, a rock star. And his dad would always ask him, when are you going to start to have a real career? You know? And anyway, he had a guy named Brennan Manning who was a, um, who was a Franciscan um, alcoholic who had really found the love of Jesus in recovery. And he became like his spiritual mentor. And they were on a retreat one time. And it was just so apparent that he wasn't moving past this God wound, this kind of dad wound that he had. And so Brendan Manning asked him to do three things. One, write a letter from, from Abba, from God to you, that you think God would write to you right now in this hurt you have. And then write a letter to your dad in heaven. And then the third thing I want you to do, which he thought was the stupidest, was write a letter from your dad in heaven to you right now. What would your dad say if he could? And uh, he said, no, it's just stupid. And he said, do it. I'm like, I'm, I'm your spiritual director. Do what I tell you. So he went in this room and closed the door, and he began to weep. And, and Brennan Manning said he started to weep because he was on the floor weeping as he thought about this. But he wrote this letter. Can I just read a little bit of it to you? It says, Dear Wayne, Rich Mullen's name was Wayne. It's a lot like I told you. Being poor ain't shameful. It's just inconvenient. That's true of money and courage and everything else. 
Where I was the poorest was where it was the most inconvenient for you. I could not imagine that people were as different as I no longer have to imagine. But because I couldn't imagine that sounds and rhythms and feelings and thoughts could be to you what machines and cows and corn was to me. Because I had no time to feel things, I never guessed that those things were valuable. Because I valued you, it's just that I didn't know you. I didn't know I was supposed to be affectionate. I thought that was soft. I could see the strength of steel. I couldn't see the strength of tenderness or the courage it took to, to show it. When I compared you with others, I didn't know that the devil had his finger on the scale or that he used my unimaginativeness to put it there. That might not even be a word, but then you're the writer. I'm not, and I could never be. There's that one movie you liked. I never liked movies all that much, but I do more now. In that movie, some psychologist, that's something else I could never stomach, but I've gotten over it. You won't believe what you get over when you're dead. <laughs> it talked about passion and how it came out of a Greek word that meant pain. And he said he didn't want to kill the boy's passion to remove his pain because that was his passion. Well, I'm sorry for being the occasion <sighs> for all of your pain. But it's yours now, and there's a lot of it. And I am here in the company of several fathers who occasioned pain to their sons. Abraham did it to Isaac. Isaac did it to his boys. Noah did it to Ham. David did it to Absalom. God Almighty even did it to his little boy, Jesus. Be brave in your pain. I don't say that because you're not. I'm proud that you didn't run from it. But keep brave. Not like old Saul up here, who, by the way, totally wrecked Jonathan. I was strong because I was strong enough to stand. Be strong enough to fly. Mm. You are my passion. No lesson for the other kids. I thought I could love without being hurt, but love has broken me into a million pieces, and every piece shouts hallelujah. You should see how good righteousness looks on me. Your mother would faint. <laughs> but I see how it looks on you. And I weep for joy. And I want you to know that. And I want you to know that I love you, your dad. So, um, you know another thing, by the way, is when people say, I didn't really have love for my dad. Um, in the New Testament, the love of God as a dad is never compared. It's never compared to the love you got from your dad. It's always compared to the love you feel for your kids. And you're like, you feel this way about me? Time's a cabillion. So there you go. You know, and so you like, it's like Jesus said, you have a dad. Like, and you can ask him anything. And it's like anything, you can ask him anything. You may not get it. My mother, by the way, so my mom, my mom was the head of the Crisis Pregnancy Center on Cumberland Avenue on the Strip. It was just a, it was a gross little building behind Clement Hall, but she said, they need to have a place they can sneak into. I remember one time Lee asked my mom, she, he said, Nan, how many women have you talked to in here? She said, 12,000. He, he said, how many women did you share Jesus with? She said, 12,000. You save the babies by saving the mother. But my mom used to pray 
during UT games, like she learned how to stop the, stop the action when they were getting ready to kick a field goal, and she would stop and she'd say, Tom, let's pray. I said, no, 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 it's no. One, God doesn't care. Two, you stop the action. It's already happened. Like you cannot pray into the past. It's theologically, and she said, yes, you can, and she would do it. And they would always make it, I don't know how. How that worked, but I mean, so, but you can ask for whatever you want. God may say no to you. He, Abe, Peter asked Jesus to get away from him. Jesus said no. Um, Martha asked Jesus to make her sister help. Jesus said no. Elijah asked God to take his life. God said no. Um, you don't need to die. You just need a nap. You know. So, but so there's this thing where Jesus said, if you ask, so. You can ask for anything you want. You can. You can ask for anything. You, you may not get it, but Jesus said, if you ask for anything in my name, you will get it. So you're kind of like, what does that mean? Is it kind of like some people think in my name, it's kind of like a, like you're like turbocharging your prayers, like ask this in, in your name, like shh, 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 this is going to happen. But it's not really that, but it's kind of like, but other people say, oh, that's the catch. Like I, you can ask for anything, but it has to be in Jesus' name, whatever that means. You'll get it if you ask that, but it kind of sounds like that part in Philippians chapter 4 where Paul says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, the pastor's understanding will guard your hearts and minds like you'll always get peace. Even if you really ask for a fishing boat, like, and what you really wanted was a fishing boat, you know, but you, but you'll get peace, you know, and um, it's like a guy. He, I, I knew this one guy. He went to a Benedictine monastery for a retreat, and one of the monks, when he got there, said, "If you need anything, we hope your stay is comfortable. If you need anything, come find me, and I'll tell you how to get along without it." So, but they, so, but, 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 you know, the whole thing started out because, you know, they were anxious, apparently be anxious for nothing. If you're anxious, peace is a wonderful thing. It's really what you want. There were people in the Gospels who had fishing boats, but in a storm, they didn't have peace. And then there was one place where Peter had enough peace to walk on the surface of the sea, and he didn't have a boat, so, at the time. So, it is wonderful to have peace, but when you think, so, if, but if you want to up your averages, in things you pray about, um, um, I'm kind of on a roll right now. Like I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting a lot of yeses to stuff, and I'm kind of pumped about it. And um, but if you want to up your averages, you ask for things in Jesus' name, and you're like, well, what does that mean? So. In order to find out what something like that means, you go back to like what, when they talk about this in the Bible, like what does it mean when they say it in the Bible? So there's a place in Matthew where Jesus said, if anybody gives um, a little child a cup of water in my name, you'll never lose your reward. And in that, like if anybody's kind to kids or anybody, if you do something kind to kids in my name, which basically means because kids are important to Jesus. Like if you, to in my name means do something because it's important to me. So if I ask for something because it's important to Jesus, then I'll get it. And you're like, well, how do I know that? So there's a, um, in, what is it, verse 7 of chapter 15, Jesus said, if, my, if, 
if you abide in me, like if you depend on me, if my words live in you, if like my teachings, my words, there's no such thing in the New Testament. I checked it out. I've got a million verses to prove it, but there's no such thing in the New Testament as devotion to Jesus that doesn't have a corresponding devotion to his words or his teachings. There's no such thing. So it's like if Jesus's words like live in me, like I love them, I think about them all the time. I do that Psalm 1 thing where I don't walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in this sit in the seat of scoffers, but I, I, I delight in the, in the Torah. But my Torah is the words of Jesus. I just love them. I think about them day and night. So if they live in you, then you kind of know at least like what not to ask for. Like if you say, Jesus, will you make everybody in the world like me? Okay, well, Jesus couldn't even get his brothers to like him. And he said, you know, my family are the people who do the will of my father. So I'm really the family of people who like me. So maybe really caring about everybody liking me isn't something that he really thinks is important. And I'm like, okay, how about a million dollars? Will you give me a million dollars? Um, I'm just going to try that one. You can ask for whatever you want, and you can ask for a million dollars. But you're asking the one who said, nobody can serve two masters. You're either going to love one and hate the other, or hate the one and love the other. You're either going to love God and hate money, or, and it's like, or you're going to love money and hate God. And you're like, well, I love God. I, don't, I hate money? I kind of, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, like Jesus said it. You know what I mean? It's just like you can't love both those. So it's like, okay, let's just pretend I didn't ask for that. Like I didn't ask for a million dollars, but how about being healed? I want to be healed. You can ask to be healed of everything. You can ask to be healed of anything. Sometimes God will do it. Sometimes he won't. But he's the one who said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And it's going to be amazing. And if I have in my mind the idea of leaving this world and going to a place where the party is waiting for us to get there, if I have in my mind that's the biggest tragedy that could ever happen to someone, I might need to tweak that. It might not be something that, you know, I mean, sometimes people, they'll, people will say at least they're not suffering. You think? I mean, it's like amazing. They wouldn't come back for a billion dollars to be 20 years old again. I mean, it's like it's totally and completely, it's completely amazing. So, okay, so I know the words of Jesus help me to know what not to ask for, but how do they help me to know what to ask for? And um, so I think about, okay, so here's a thing. Uh, what did Jesus talk about? So the first sermon that Jesus ever gave, as far as we know, and it's one of the only things that happens in the Gospels in his town that he grew up in, in Nazareth, is in Luke chapter 4, where he was in the synagogue and they were asking if, you know, do you have anything that you'd like to share? So he found in Isaiah chapter 61, um, they didn't have pages. They had to roll it. So I don't know how long it took to find it, but they found it. And it talked about the Messiah. And it said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to, and it's like the promised Messiah, to um, open the eyes of the blind and to heal the lame and to release people from prison. This is what the Messiah is going to do. And 
that poor people will have good news, finally good news for poor people and people that nobody cares about. And Jesus said, okay, by way of practical application of the scripture, this is happening like right now. And I am the Messiah. And they were like, oh my goodness. They just thought it was completely and totally amazing. And Jesus said, here's another thing that you need to understand is that God sent me uh, for y'all, but not only for you all, for other people too. And people from foreign countries and people who are immigrants and people who are, the word is Gentile, which I don't know what, gen, I don't know where they got that word Gentile, but every time you see the word Gentile in the New Testament, the Greek word is the word ethne, where you get ethnicities. He sent me for all of the ethnic minorities and all of the ethnicities and he loves them as much as he loves y'all. And they said, nope. And they pushed, they took him up to a cliff and they were gonna push him off the cliff first thing. And it's like, but that's what he cares about. You know, so um, I found something interesting. I kind of, I don't know, maybe discovered it a little bit. But, um, but in, in, so when the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts chapter 22, when he's telling the story about how he came to know Jesus and in Jerusalem, and he said, you know, I was on this road and, and he appeared to me. And I said, who are you? And he said, I am Jesus of Nazareth, who you're persecuting. Nazareth was that town where he said that thing. And I thought, huh, because in Acts chapter 9, when it happened, Jesus said, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. But he actually must have said that because Paul remembered it that way in, in Acts chapter 22, that Jesus said, I'm Jesus of Nazareth. And I asked myself, I wonder how many times Jesus is called Jesus of Nazareth in the Gospels. And in Matthew, one time. In Mark, two times. In Luke, three times. In John, four times. In the book of Acts, where Jesus is exalted in heaven, King of kings and Lord of lords, reigning over this universe, he's called Jesus of Nazareth seven times. The same one who cares about the same people and the same thing. And if I ask Jesus in his name, give me someone to love. Give me someone to care about. Maybe it's somebody that people don't really care about so much. Maybe it's somebody from foreign countries. Maybe it's somebody from not like me. Give me somebody that's different than me. Give me somebody to love for your sake. I guarantee you that's something that you're asking that's important to him. And if you keep on asking it, I guarantee you're going to get it. And the question is, do I allow Jesus to tell me that stuff? Do I allow Jesus to tell me what's important to him and what's not important to him? Do I allow Jesus to tell me what is important to him? Do I allow Jesus to tell me things that I think are important that he thinks are not important? And do I allow Jesus to tell me things that I don't think are important that he thinks are important? And if I listen to that and say, tell me what matters to you, and then I start asking for things that matter to him, I'm in a groove right there, baby. I mean, that is like a prayer groove that you want to be in. But there, okay, so, but there's one other, um, there's, but you might think, I mean, it feels a little complicated um, to try to figure out what matters. I want to make that whole thing easier. How do you figure out what matters to Jesus and what doesn't? I want to make that super easy. There's, in the scriptures, sometimes when 
it uses that phrase, in my name, like ask in my name. What does in my name mean? Like in Deuteronomy chapter 18 and in Jeremiah chapter 18 and Jeremiah chapter 23, it talks about prophets. And prophets are people who said, this is what God's saying to y'all. You know, they thought, oh, this is great. This is awesome. This is awesome. And a prophet is somebody who walks through your culture and your society and says, upon further review, that is not awesome. You know, but it's kind of like, but this is what God says is awesome and isn't awesome about y'all. So a prophet, but Moses said, and Jeremiah said, if anybody says the Lord says this or that, and he didn't tell them that, that is a very serious thing to do. So to say something in God's name is, this is what God would say. So to pray something in Jesus's name is to pray what Jesus would ask for me. And you're like, well, I don't know that. Like, how do I know what Jesus? Oh, yeah, it's super simple. Because in John 15, like in this Bible, you don't even have to turn the page. There's a place in chapter 17 where Jesus busts out this prayer. That just the whole chapter is a prayer. And he's asking for us. And what does he ask for? Like in the very first verse, he said, Father, glorify your name. Like glorify yourself right now. He was about, and what glory means to understand the inner like meaning of something that isn't self-evident. And so Jesus was about to, they were about to all be traumatized because he was going to go into these hours that were going to be so bloody and so messy and so awful and so horrible and so hateful. And they just thought this is a complete and total failure. Everything is falling apart, but it wasn't. And Jesus prayed that they would see the glory in it. And the glory is, no, this is love. This is love. This is him loving you. This is, this is how much Jesus loves you. That's what this is. What actually happened in three hours of global darkness when God the Son was some in ways that we can't possibly understand, separated from the God the Father, we can't get to the depth of it. And that means the love that Jesus has for us, we can't get to the depth of it. It's just love. And then later on, he prayed, I pray that they would be one as we are one. And it's the word one. And it's, it always means one, like one thing or one day or whatever in the New Testament. Only in John does it mean something else, that they might be one as we are one. And it's like, what do you mean by that? And people kind of assume they know, but the only other place that's used is in John chapter 10, when Jesus said, no one can snatch you out of my hand. And the Father, who is greater than all, and no one can snatch them out of his hand. I and the Father are one. And, and, and so they assumed that Jesus was claiming to be Almighty God. And they picked up stones to stone him. And he said, it shouldn't be amazing to you that I say that uh, for a variety of reasons. Jesus claimed to be Almighty God and was Almighty God who became a human being. And he said it multiple times in the Gospel of John. I'm not exactly sure that in this case, that's what he was initially talking about when he said, I and the Father are one. Because in chapter 17, he invites us into that oneness. And I will always be little old me. And I'll always be, you know, he's not inviting me into the Trinity or anything. I'll always be little old me serving Jesus day and night. That's who I'm going to be. So, but what he meant by that is, you are in my Father's hand. And you are in my hands. And we are one in this. We love you. We love you so, so much. And his prayer was that we would be one in that. 
that we would know that? Like what he really, really, really wants me to know is that he loves me. It's not like when I pray in his name, what does he want me to do or how does he want me to do it? He wants me to be loved. He just wants me to, he just wants me to know and believe that I am loved. And he just wants me to love him back. Rich, that's all he really wants. There's a place where Paul prayed that you would be strengthened with power to know this love. I just want you to know that I love you. I want you to feel it. I want you to believe it. And I want you to love me back. Rich Mullins, he, he, he and his buddy Beaker, they were riding in their Jeep. And um, they always kind of were just, they said, you could do whatever you want when you're in the Jeep. They kind of practice silence sometimes, but Beaker wanted to listen to this sermon. Rich Mullins hated sermons. He hated listening to them because he always thought they're always preaching at me and tell me what I need to do. So he puts this sermon in, and it was Brennan Manning, who had never, he had never heard of Brennan Manning. And after a while, Rich Mullins had pulled off by the side of the road. He said, something wrong with the car. He said, no, something's wrong with me. And he was crying so hard that he couldn't drive it anymore. And it was just Brendan Manning saying, he doesn't want anything from you. He doesn't want you to do anything. He just wants you to be loved. And he wants you to believe it. God loves you. He doesn't love you when you're the person that you should be because you'll never be the person you should be. He just loves you. All he wants you to do is to be astonished. When you look at a cross and you think about how much he paid for you, he just wants you to be amazed. He wants you to marble. He wants your mouth to drop open and he wants you to start to breathe. That's what it means. Ask him to tell you. <laughs> ask him to let you feel it. Ask, you, ask him to let you believe it. Ask him to make you love him. And then you'll know what's important to him. Lord Jesus, some of us need to feel it today. Some of us don't really feel it today. I always want to feel it. Lots of times I hardly ever do. But I'm asking you in your name. By the power of the Holy Spirit, if there's anybody like me who needs their heart to be filled up with the love of Jesus and to know how much they're loved and to be empowered to actually believe it, in his name, do it. Amen. Oh my love, I know that you're sorry. Well, I've seen every tear as they fall, but I do not want you to worry because i have covered it all and i know that beating yourself up well it feels like you're doing your part but let go turn around and look up because it's time for a carefree heart so don't chase shadows Come and stand in my light And don't try to hold smoke My love is a fire burning bright Well, it's free for the broken and broke Cause I've paid and I've made it all right 
past this Cause you should have done better somehow But no, you are just like everyone else is You need grace and you have it right now My love, don't you know I took your sin And I nailed it to the cross above my head So go on, take the prize, receive the win Don't try to raise up the dead And don't chase shadows Come and stand in my light And don't try to hold smoke Free indeed.